Welcome to this podcast of the Sunday Message from Hope Gateway in Portland, Maine. We'd love to have you join us for worship Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., currently on Zoom and broadcast live on Facebook. Visit our website at hopegateway.com to learn more. Whether you live near or far, we hope you find this message to be meaningful. Wherever you are, join us in doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. morning, everyone. My name is Diane McClanahan, and I am the community care coordinator here at Hope Gateway. Today, it's my privilege to um, offer this message about encountering resurrection. We're in the midst of a series of encountering resurrection, not only in our stories of scripture, but in our world today. And so today, I'd like for you to put yourselves, if you would, with the disciples huddled together in a locked room. It's a week after the day we now call Easter, and there have already been two resurrection encounters. Um, The first was when Jesus appeared. We heard that story on Easter morning. Uh, Jesus appears to Mary at the tomb, and she mistakes him for a gardener. In the second, Jesus appears to the disciples while they are locked away in a room, hiding in fear. But Thomas wasn't with them that day. Now, a week later, in that same locked room, he has trouble believing that Jesus really did appear to the disciples. So imagine you're with Thomas and the others as we pick up the story today. Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples said to him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. After eight days, his disciples That's where we're picking it up today. We're again in a house, and Thomas was now with them. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look, look, look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. No more disbelief. Believe. Thomas responded to Jesus, my Lord my God. Jesus replied, do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. And then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in his disciples' presence, signs that aren't recorded in this scroll. But these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is Christ, God's son, and that in believing you will have life in his name. Poor Thomas. He'll forever carry the name of the doubting one, right? (laughs) And there's been a zillion sermons about doubting Thomas. And we could go there, but we're not today. (laughs) 
because in fact, he's no less trusting than any of the other disciples. After all, the rest of them had already seen Jesus the week before. He had shown them his wounds. He had breathed the spirit into them as if they were being newly created. He had offered his peace to them and then commissioned them to go out into the world, right? As Father has sent me, he said, so I send you. And where were they on this week later? In the locked room again, right? So Thomas is no different than the, the rest of them. Um, he is very clear without the benefit of the experience the others had, he's very clear about what he needs. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. So when Jesus appears once again, it's not the supernatural arrival of Jesus through the locked doors that captures Thomas's attention, All that, although that must have been pretty strange, don't you think? No, it's Jesus's very real flesh and blood wounds that result in Thomas's great affirmation of faith, my Lord and my God. Thomas needed to see Jesus's wounds. He needed confirmation that the one standing before him was the one who suffered and died. Sarah introduced me to a podcast this week that um, I am asking Bethany to go ahead and put in chat because it's well worth your uh, little bit of time to watch or listen to. Um, it's by um, a pastor by the name of Jen Hatmaker. Some of you may know who she is. Um, and um, Hatmaker, in this podcast, describes reactions to the experience of resurrection in Scripture, it's okay, and in our own experience. So I'd like for you to, um, it, I'd like for you to just look at a couple of these quotes. So looking at the story of Thomas, she insists there better be scars. There better be scars. Had Jesus shown up shiny and new, unscarred, unmarked, he would have chosen to leave his humanity forever behind. Only people who can imagine Jesus' suffering can trust him with their own. There better be scars. Thomas needed confirmation, not just of Jesus' rising, but of his suffering. His Jesus suffered, and his Jesus didn't leave his suffering behind. Hatmaker points out that the one who appears to Thomas and the other disciples is wounded and resurrected at the very same time. This gives us hope. Why? Because we're wounded too. We carry wounds, right? So I want to share a little story uh, with you. Um, Art and I were younger then. Um, he was, I think, about 23. I was 19. And we were both going to school. At, uh, we were at Duke University. He was in the Divinity School. I was in the nursing program. And we knew each other because we played in the band together, um, orchestra. We, we enjoyed music. And, we had uh, we'd been dating, and so we were in the dining, had gone to the dining hall, had our dinner together, and had run to my dorm room, 
in order to um, pick up my French horn before we headed off to practice. No cell phones in those days. Um, there was a, you know, one of these old-fashioned things called the telephone sitting on the, the wall. In the, it, I actually had one in my room. That was really pretty spectacular that we had them in our dorm rooms because um, a lot of times you had to go down a hall to get to it, right? So the, the phone rang just as we approached the room. And I answered it and immediately knew something was terribly, terribly wrong. It was my dad on the other end of the phone, and he was there to tell me that my mom had died that day, and she had died by suicide. I shouldn't have been overly surprised. She had attempted before. She had suffered from depression all my life, and um, yet I was totally thrown into shock, as you might imagine. My pastor, I'll just name him Pastor Ed, during the funeral message, singled me out. Um, he was, I was the child of my parents that he actually knew. My siblings were older, and so he singled me out. And in the midst of the service, <laughs> the stand is not working for this. Um, in the midst of the service, he, um, he said, Diane, he said, I know all that you're feeling right now is suffering and pain. But someday there'll be some good that comes out of this. I was furious. <laughs> that is not the right message to give someone who is suffering with the wounds of losing their mom by suicide, right? Not in the midst of a funeral message. I was absolutely furious with him for saying that. <clears throat> Years went by. Um, while there was nothing very good about my mother's suffering or mine, I had an opportunity um, presented to me by the Des Moines Pastoral Counseling Center. I was working there. I just started a job working there. This was 37 years and a lot of healing after my mom's death. And they asked if I would be part of a panel that would present um, the topic of suicide to a public event. Um, and I was asked if I would represent um, sort of the faith community perspective as a pastor, and would I also represent the family perspective as a family member who had lost someone to suicide. And I said, yes, okay, I'll do that. It was the first time, very first time, I had been asked to publicly talk about this loss and my wounds, the wounds that I had carried because of this loss. And it was the start of a new life for me. It opened up a whole new door. First of many talks. I ended up getting trained as an applied suicide uh, intervention specialist. Um, I ended up training other people to do that work. I ended up getting trained by the American um, Association of Pastoral, not Amer the uh, American uh, Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Um, in providing facilitation for a survivor of suicide loss groups. And I ended up facilitating these groups on a monthly basis at the center where I worked. I had a partner in that work. Um, Andrea was an ordained, or is an ordained um, minister and a therapist, and her presence was amazing at that group. She had no experience with suicide loss personally, but she offered this amazing compassion just through her expressions, the way she looked at people, the way she listened, and the way she, she responded. 
and I really admired Andrea a lot, still do. Well, I had to miss a couple of our, our group meetings. I was probably here, because <laughs> I'm thinking it was the summer during the time when we were here for that whole summer, 20, 2019, um, before we actually moved to Maine. So I missed a couple of sessions. And when I went back, uh, Andrea said to me, you know, Diane, it's not the same when you're not there. Oh, why not? And she said, because your experience of loss makes a really big difference to the group. It brings them hope. And then I heard the words of Pastor Ed come back to me. I was transported back to the funeral. Diana, all you're experiencing today is suffering and pain. But one day you will see the good that flows from this experience. Huh. I'm still mad at him. <laughs> he shouldn't have said those words when he said those words, okay? <laughs> but many of us here are familiar with a, a book that came out just a couple years before my mom died, and I think Pastor Ed read this book. <laughs> it was, it's called The Wounded Healer. Um, it's a book by Henry Nowen, and I just want to quote um, Henry Nowen here. Um, he says that when we become aware that we do not have to escape our pains, but that we can mobilize them into a common search for life, those very pains are transformed from expressions of despair into signs of hope. And he also writes, the wound which causes us to suffer now will be revealed to us later as the place where God intimated new creation. Diane, all you're experiencing right now is suffering and pain, but one day you'll see some good that comes from this. All right. Well, darn it, Pastor Ed was right. That's true, he was right. Um, my own painful experiences, my wounds, were transformed from expressions of despair into signs of hope. And the wound that caused so much suffering in my life became a place of new life for me. <laughs> I had a new life as I was now sharing with others a resurrection encounter. By showing up with my wounds, being careful not to inflict my wounds on others or rush others to places they were not ready to go, I, strangely enough, found new life and healing and a really weird sense that in some way, my mom was knowing healing as well. My story's not unique. It's not special. I'm not special. The vast majority of those who offer uh, suicide intervention training and those who facilitate survivor of suicide loss groups are themselves survivors of suicide loss. And there are many other examples of how people show up with their wounds every day to carry hope and healing and the possibility of new life to others. So just a few, and you can probably think of others, right? Think of the Sandy Hook parents who carry the unthinkable, devastating wounds of the loss of children, showing up with their wounds as fierce advocates for gun control. 
Think of those carrying wounds of sexual violence deep in their bodies and psyches, rising up beyond their embarrassment and shame, perhaps for the very first time in their lives, to add their voices and their stories to the Me Too movement. And just this week, there are all kinds of voices raised in deep opposition to the leaked Supreme Court draft that sig signals the possible end to reproductive rights for women in our country. Among those voices, the one that stood out the most for me was the voice of uh, Representative Jackie Speer, who openly shared her own woundedness in the painful decision she had to make to have an abortion. These are all encounters with resurrection, and they're all around us. Do you see them? You see that connection between the woundedness and the new life offered when those wounds are shared? They're right in there, not in the wounds themselves, but in the way new life becomes possible when we become brave enough to show up as Jesus did, wounds and all. When we offer our own wounded selves for the healing of the world, we too can be both wounded and resurrected. Have you ever had a, a, a piece of music, a song get stuck in your brain and you just can't get it out of there? <laughs> I had one of those happen to me this week. It was the song that uh, Carolyn and Martin shared through the video um, last Sunday, um, and it just wouldn't leave my mind as I was making my way through my week this, this week. You make beautiful things, beautiful things out of the dust. Did you hear that last week? You make beautiful things, beautiful things out of us. God makes beautiful things out of us, wounds and all. So the question for us is not how can we hide our wounds or how can we pretend they're, they're not there so we don't have to be embarrassed or ashamed, but instead how can we put our woundedness in the service of others. In other words, how might others encounter resurrection through us? What beautiful thing is God making through us? What beautiful thing is God making through you? Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. To hear more about Hope Gateway and to discover how together we can do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God, visit our website at hopegateway.com.